And so we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, verse 17, which has been our theme verse through this series in, in New Beginnings. And then we're going to be through the book of Proverbs. And so I'm going to end this series called New Beginnings on this issue of new friends. And we're going to talk about relationships. And you know what I'm praying? I'm praying that you don't view your relationships the same after, after you hear God's word. That you understand that, that relationships are much deeper than, than, and more impactful in our life than maybe we could ever imagine. I started this series, New Beginnings, because at the first of the year, it seems like everybody's more open to change than any other time in, the year, in, in, their, in, in their life or maybe in the year. It's in the, it's in the first of the year when people begin making New Year's resolutions and new commitments, new dreams, new goals, all of those other things. And what we know is, is resolutions don't work because resolutions tend to focus on the behavior and not the belief. They start with, with, uh, with behaviors and not with God. And so what Scripture tells us is this. For anybody to make lasting change, for anybody to change their life, they first have to change spiritually. In other words, the spiritual impacts the physical. In other words, this, that you have to change from the inside out. You cannot change from the outside in. A lot of people that think, you know what? If we just change our behaviors, then, or if we change some external things, sooner or later, it'll get to the real us or to the real me. And what we know is this, we know that that's like, that's like incorrect because, because everything that we do is spiritual. And so let me just press in just so you know where we're going in this thought, and this may be something that you never really thought about, but here's the truth. Your relationships are spiritual. Your relation, because everything that we do is spiritual. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. We're not a human having a spiritual experience. And so as a result of that, everything that we do is spirit. Our relationships are spiritual. Scripture says this, 2 Corinthians 2, 5, 17. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So in other words, this, for new life to begin, there has to be an inward change. For new life to begin, there has to be a spiritual change. So relationships that are around you should never be an accident. The fact is, they're not an accident. And I mean, when you, when you look at this and you think about this, that relationships are spiritual, think about this. How does God accomplish his will? Through relationships. He accomplishes his will through relationships and through friendships. God does everything through people and through relationships. As a result of that, the most important decision that you will ever make are your relationships. It's not where you're going to work. It's not where you're going to live it's not how are you going to spend your time in your career, what profession are you going to select, what college you're going to go to, what job you're going to work at. Listen, I'm telling you, the most critical decision, the most important decision you and I will ever make are, are relationships. I mean, when you look at this issue that, of relationships, you realize that relationships are critical to God. And so the most important decision you and I ever make will be relationships. I, uh, Jack Warner, in 1960, when Jack Warner was one of the last of the living Warner Brothers, and in 1960, Jack Warner sold Warner Brothers for $640 million. In an interview, he was asked right after the sale, he was asked, Jack, we just got to ask you with all that money, how many friends do you have? He said, not a single one. In other words, it's a picture of someone that could be very, very wealthy in, in monetary stuff, but very poor in relationships. When you start looking at relationships and you start reading studies, and listen, I've read journal after journal after journal this last week. And so when you start looking at it, you realize this, that, that everybody wants a friend. 
Everybody doesn't want a superficial friend, but everybody wants a friend. Everybody wants a deep friend that they're committed to or they can trust and they encourage them. In fact, is, as a pastor, I hear this all the time. I hear all the time, about, I, just, I just want a friend. I just want someone that's a friend. The fact is, studies will say loneliness runs rampant in our society. Some psychologists say that the number one emotional problem right now in the U.S. is loneliness. In fact, this is so important to God just so you understand how you were wired. And when God created the Garden of Eden, perfect place, he put, placed man there, Adam, and the first thing that he said to man was this, it is not good for man to be alone. In other words, God said, guess what? Loneliness is not good. That you were wired for connection. You were wired for friends. You were wired through for relationships. But the problem is, there's a group of people that just, they may have a lot of people around them, but they're lonely. They say, I'd like just a good friend. Listen, listen you need friends. All the way through the Bible, you see deep relationships. You see, you see David had like Jonathan and and Moses had Aaron, and, and Jesus had the disciples, and Paul uh, had Barnabas. Listen, even Batman had Robin, right? I mean, I mean, there's something about friends. There's something about relationships. And, and let me just make another statement. Guess what? Connection is why you're here. That's why the mission statement of our church that God placed on my heart in, in the mid-'90s was this, connecting God, people, and community. That our mission, our goal here at Fellowship of the Rockies is to first connect people to God because how do you change inward out? You, don't, you change beliefs. Beliefs change behavior. So connecting people to God. Then we connect people to people because guess what Scripture says? Scripture says the way God brings healing in someone's life is through relationships. He accomplishes everything through people through his, with his will. And then to connect people to community, which is which is missions. So connection is why we're here, to connect people to God, to, co to one another, and to community. The fact is, the Bible teaches that God has wired you to connect. But here's the problem. When you read the research, and like I said, I've read journal after journal this last week. When researchers sit down and try to figure out this element of connection and why do some people connect and why do some don't, why is someone lonely, some is not lonely, and all those other things, when they do research and they sit down with people and they say, hey, tell us about love, you know what they tell them? About being brokenhearted. About betrayal. About hurt. When they ask people to talk to them about connection or belonging, they begin, they begin to talk about rejection and hurt. When they talk to people and say, just give us stories about when you connected with a group of people, when you connected with someone, then they'll tell you about disconnection. In other words, here's what they're telling you. They're telling you about shame and fear. Now, you may not know a lot about shame, or you may have felt some shame, but you may have never heard a real definition of shame. Listen, because of my testimony, I had to deal, when I came into the Christian life, I dealt with this issue of shame. And so I know a lot about shame, and I also know victory over shame in my life. But here's what shame is. Shame is the fear of disconnection. Is there something about me? If other people know it, saw it, heard it, they would disconnect from me. They would reject me. In other words, shame is this. I am not worthy of connection. I am not worthy of good friends. I am not worthy of healthy relationships. 
I just don't feel worthy. So as a result of that, I'll get involved in unhealthy relationships that are destructive to me because truly I believe that I am not worthy of healthy relationships. Now, shame at some level is universal. Fact is, psychologists tell us we all have it. We all have to deal with it. Maybe more at some levels than others. Because someone that doesn't have shame does not have the human capability, the human emotion to properly connect with other people. So the root of shame is this. I am not. I am not good enough. I am not thin enough. I am not pretty enough. I am not funny enough. I am not rich enough. I am not smart enough. I am not bright enough. The root of shame is I am not. In other words, for us to have what research is telling, we're going to find out what Scripture says. It's just fascinating to me. So what researchers tell us, for you and I to be able to, to connect with healthy relationships, we first have to understand that I am worthy of love. And if we don't have that, then we will struggle in relationships. In other words, when they started doing deeper studies with people that had healthy relationships around them, that were good and that were uplifting and didn't tear them down and didn't hurt and all those other things, what they found is those individuals that are able to develop healthy relationships around them, they have this healthy sense that they're worthy of love, that they're worthy of connection, that they are not damaged goods, but they have this, but they just believe that they're worthy. See, what keeps a lot of people from connecting with healthy relationships, I found, what keeps a lot of people from connecting with a church a lot deeper? See, a lot of people, they're good with, well, yeah, I want the church to help me connect to God, but I don't want to connect to other church people. I don't want to connect to other Christians. See, a lot of people are good with the connection to God, but they bail at the connection to other people. And one of the barriers is this, is because they're worried, I am not. I am not good enough. I am not spiritual enough. What if they reject me? See, when an individual has shame in their life and they don't feel worthy, then you know what they normally do and they naturally do? They try to numb those feelings. They try to numb some healthy feelings or some negative feelings in their life, but, but do you realize it's impossible to selectively numb feelings in your life? In other words, when you don't feel worthy, you'll try to numb grief, fear, shame, but it is impossible to numb the negative feelings without numbing the good feelings. Joy, peace, comfort, happiness. See, that's one reason. Right now, we live in a country that is trying to numb all these feelings. And that's why we are the most in-debt, obese addicted group of people in the U.S.'s history. And so what a lot of people will do is, is they'll push back when you're dealing in shame. Well, I'll just try to be perfect. I'll just, I won't be vulnerable because at the core, I believe I'm not good enough. So as a result of that, I'll try to be perfect. And sometimes we raise our kids that way. Listen, our job is not to tell people you're perfect. Our job is to tell people, guess what? You're imperfect. And you will struggle, but you are worthy of love and you are worthy of connection. Every one of us is imperfect. Every one of us is messed up. Every one of us struggles in areas. 
And so what happens is we have a nation now that says, well, no, no, we'll, we'll just push back and we'll just, try to be, we'll just try to be perfect or appear to be perfect. Now listen, these things were going on in Malachi's day. This isn't new to us. This isn't new to our generation. Last week I told you that God showed me some deeper insight into the book of Malachi that I'd never seen before. The people in Malachi of their day, they were disconnecting from everybody. They were disconnecting from God. They were disconnecting from the relationships around them. God was asking them to give, and God was asking them to serve, and God was asking them to connect in relationships. And so you know what? They became consumer Christians. They said, if it doesn't benefit me, I'm not doing it. Uh, if, it, if, if I don't get something back, I'm not giving. If I don't get something back, I'm not serving. If I, I'm not coming into relationships, if, 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 if it doesn't benefit me. And so Malachi, God sends Malachi the prophet to go in and, says, and God says, Malachi, you give them this word. Watch this. Watch what he says. And they shall be mine. Malachi 3, chapter 17. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In the day when I make up my, watch this, treasured possession... And I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Listen, now, here's a crazy deal. The group of Malachi were not perfect. They were imperfect, and they were struggling. And God told them, guess what? You're my treasured possession. Can I just tell you this morning, when you're in Christ, guess what? You are God's treasured possession. That should change your life. That should help you understand, guess what? I am God's treasured possession. And guess what? When you understand that, when you understand that God has made you his treasured possession, that means a unique possession, which some of us are more unique than others, right? That you are his unique possession. And when you understand that you are God's treasured possession, it becomes natural for you to make him your treasured possession. In fact, this is word treasured possession only appears in the Bible like six times. And it was God explaining his covenant relationship, his relationship with his people. And so God says, you're my treasured possession. So why is that so important to relationship, friendships? That's so important to properly connect with other people. You have to understand, I'm worthy of connection. I'm worthy of love. I'm worthy of healthy relationships around me. See, friendship is not accidental. In other words, you should not let other people choose you. You should choose them. You should choose your friends. I mean, have you ever seen anyone waste their life because of the friends they chose they had around them? Don Johnson, the actor in the 70s, uh, it was just a cocaine-addicted, alcoholism, broken marriages, broken relationships of the 70s. 1983, Don Johnson get, goes to AA, gets healing, gets sober, and he, he was asked in an interview. He said, do you have any regrets? The interviewer asked him, do you have any regrets of the 70s? Here's what Don Johnson said. Yes, I regret wasting a lot of time with a bunch of jerks that I wish I hadn't spent 10 minutes with now, let alone 10 years. In other words, your friends can impact you negatively or positively. And so I want to give you six things out of the book of Proverbs that if you're going to have healthy friends, you first have to be a healthy friend. Because the type of friends you will attract is the type of friend that you are. And when you understand I'm worthy of love and I'm worthy of connection, then all of a sudden you're a different person. So if you're going to have healthy relationships, here's just six things. And these principles will, will, will correlate for friends and for marriage. The first one is this. If you're going to have healthy relationships around you, I must be committed. In other words, I must be committed to the relationship, not for a season, but I'm like committed to the relationship, the friendship. Proverbs 18, 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. 
And so the scripture says, a man of many companions. Is he saying having a lot of friends is not good? No, absolutely not. Here's what he's saying. You focus on quality, not quantity. In other words, you get quality friends around you. And so we all know this, right? There's different levels of friendships. So there's, there's casual friendships. And so they may be on your Christmas card list. They may be, you may swap some emails, but, but they're just casual friends. And, then, and then, then there's companions. And companions are a group of people that you may work with. You may, may, may do recreation, hobbies together. You may hang out a little bit with. And then the smallest group of friends is this thing called genuine friends. And those are close friends, friends that you know you can confide in and you can, you can have deep relationships with. And so, so can you be popular and not have any close friends? Absolutely. You can be so busy trying to impress everybody else that you never develop any close friends. Listen, being a pastor, I've met thousands of people. But I'm telling you, one close friend is worth more than a thousand casual friends. See, Proverbs 18.24 says some friends don't last, but some friendships are more loyal than brothers, and loyal means committed to, and friendship begins with commitment. Listen, let me tell you something. It takes a long time to develop old friends, and there are friendships that don't last. In fact, as the Bible said, in the Old Testament time, they actually made covenants with one another in relationships, David and Jonathan and, and some others. So the question is, how many friends do you have? Or maybe deeper, how many friends are you committed to? Who knows that you're committed to them? Second thing, if you're going to be the type of friend to be able to attract good friends, not only you must be committed, but the second thing is this, you must be considerate. In other words, you must have compassion, you must be considerate. Listen, let me tell you something. You have to first learn to be considerate with yourself before you can be considerate with others. You have to learn to be compassionate with yourself first before you're compassionate with others. You have to be, learn to be for, forgiving of yourself. Listen, if you're dealing with shame, if you're dealing with I am not, then you will be hard on yourself and you'll be hard on, your other, on others. It starts with you. And so Proverbs 19.22 says, loyalty makes a person uh, attractive. It is better to be poor than be dishonest. So, so you want to be more attractive? Be loyal. You ever had that relationship? You ever had that friend that as you got to know them and as you developed a relationship with them, they became more and more attractive in your eyes? You know why that was? Loyalty. See, the Bible says loyalty and, and, and kindness will make you more uh, attractive. So how many deep friends do you really have? I mean, because um, true friends or deep friends or genuine friends, when you're down, will not tell you, I told you so. Will not tell you, I cannot believe you just did that. I knew that was going to happen. You should have listened to me. How could you be so dumb? How could you be so stupid? You're like worthless. I cannot believe you made that decision. Listen, let me tell you something. A true friend that is committed to you and considerate will not make those statements when you're down. A true friend, listen, a true friend will not kick you when you're down. Proverbs 19, or 17, 9 out of the ESV say it this way. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. The New Living Translation would, would render that verse this way. Love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates close friends. In other words, words this, true friends are, are forgetters. True friends are are forgivers. And there's a process of restoration. There's a process of forgiving. But true friends are not 
They're not blind. They just choose to overlook some things. In other words, they forgive. In other words, this, once, once it's been dealt with, they don't keep rubbing it in. They rub it out. I mean, they choose to overlook some faults. Uh, I still have it somewhere in a file, but many years back, Easter, someone sent me an Easter card. And the Easter said, uh, you're a good egg. And then you opened it up, and it says, even if, even if you are a little cracked. You know what? That's all of us, right? None of us are perfect. We're all imperfect. And we all have flaws. We all have faults. But a true friend is not blind to those things. They just, they just choose to overlook them. I mean, you want to have friends? Man, how are you treating others? Are you considerate to them? Are you forgiving to them? Are you always kicking them when they're down? Are you building them up or tearing them down? Third thing that if you're going to have deep relationships is this. I must be confidential. And we touched on that in Proverbs 17, 9. But Proverbs 11, 3, and listen, parents, it'd be great for you if you have children in the home just to walk through the book of Proverbs and just, it just starts showing you just in clear ways how to have healthy relationships. What do healthy relationships look like? And I'm telling you, adults struggle with this as much as children. But Proverbs 11.13 says this, says, Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. In other words, that a true friend doesn't gossip. A true friend doesn't talk about you. A true friend doesn't slander. In other words, this, a true friend will take it to their grave. In fact, his Proverbs didn't have time or we do now. A true friend, you know what Proverbs says? A true friend will not betray another's confidence to win an argument. In other words, a true friend, if they get in that conflict and someone's told them something confidentially and in secret, they will not betray. They understand this so much. They are so confidential that they will not betray what someone else told them. They will not betray their confidence to win an argument. I mean, we live in a time, right, with just kiss-and-tell books. It's ridiculous. The number of books, the millions of dollars. See, people love, 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 love gossip. People love slander. And right now, there's a huge market for kiss-and-tell books, and, and I read a lot of books, and you know what? I would just refuse to buy them. I'm not going to promote or, or help or reward someone from slander and gossip and all of that junk. Friday, I read a book it's, uh, uh, called The Spiritual Seeker. It's the spiritual life of Elvis Presley. And so I read the book in a, in a day. It was just a fascinating book about his spiritual journey. But in, towards the end of Elvis Presley's life, when the Memphis Mafia, the inner three, those three guys, finally got mad at Elvis, and they went out, they left him, and they wrote a kiss-and-tell book. And in the book it says that, just, that literally emotionally destroyed him of all the cars he had given them, all the money he had given them. See, they were only there for the good stuff. And that it plunged him deeper into depression and deeper into drug use, trying to numb it. Listen, let me tell you something. You cannot selectively numb feelings. You cannot numb the feelings of grief and hurt and pain without trying to numb the other stuff, joy and peace and, and all that other stuff. Having a friend that is confidential is critical. It's like those three pastors, they lived in the same town, and they decided, you know what, we're going to start hanging out together. We're going to build an accountability group so we can encourage each other and pray for each other. And, and so they're, they're sitting out in a boat, and they're, you know, they're fishing, and they're not catching anything. So one of the pastors got, got, got spiritual and says, hey, why don't we do this? Why don't, we, why don't we talk about our number one struggle, our number one sin, so we can hold each other accountable, pray for each other? 
So the other pastor says, all right, that's a great idea. He says, you know what I struggle with? I struggle with greed. He says, I just want stuff. I just want things. And, and it causes me to spend way too much money, credit card debt and all this other stuff. I just lust after money and things. And it, it's just destroying me. The next guy says, well, you know what? I lust after women. He said, not that I've ever acted on them, but I just think impure thoughts about the opposite sex. And it just is so, it just, I carry guilt and all this other stuff. And, and I, I, I just need to quit that. I need, I, need, I need healing in that area. The other pastor goes, well, you know what I struggle with? I struggle with gossip. And I cannot wait to go tell everybody what you guys have said. <laughs> Listen, a true friend is confidential. A true friend, you want to separate friends, you talk about them. You want to separate friends, you gossip about them. You, there's so many people that say, I just want a friend. Well, what are you saying? And I'm listening to them, and they're, they're, they're talking trash about all the relationships around them. I'm like, well, who would want to be your friend? You have, like, slandered every friend. You have gossiped about every friend. I mean, follow people on Twitter and Facebook and everything else. It's ridiculous. Social media, a lot of times, is all about me. And they have no clue who's reading it, who's it's destroying, and who's it's hurting. The fourth thing, if you're going to have close friends, is you've got to learn to be candid. In other words, you've got to learn to be open and honest and frank. In other words, you've got to learn to speak the truth in love. There's a lot of people who say, hey, hey, I'm a truth teller. But if there's, if there's no love with truth telling, you know what you come across as? Self-righteous, arrogant, prideful. Learning to be candid. Learning to, to be able to, to, to speak into someone's life, even when it's hurtful, even when it's painful. Because here's the deal. All of us, all of us have blind spots, Right? And here's the crazy thing is, in our life, we have blind spots, but we can see them so well in other people, especially when, they have, when they're dealing with the same stuff we're dealing with. When we can see it easy in other people, we can't see it in ourselves. So everyone, I cannot tell you as a pastor in leadership how many problems close friends have saved me from by just speaking into my life. Proverbs 27.5 says this, Better is an open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Listen. In the journals that I read this last week, very, very, very few people ever have a friend in this category. They can speak truth into their life. And they wonder why they don't grow spiritually. See, the Bible tells us, and statistics tell us, the way that we grow is by being willing to read Scripture on our own every day and be willing to come into Christian community life groups and Bible studies. And people wonder why I don't grow. They don't have anybody in their life that says, you know what, because I care so much for you, man, you're blowing it. You're losing it. And if you keep down this road, it is going to destroy you. I mean, do you, do you have anybody like that in your life that can speak truth into your life without you pushing them away or calling them names, that they're a jerk or, or whatever? So Proverbs 24, 26 says, an honor, honest answer is a sign of, of true friendships. But here's what a lot of people do. People who are honest with them, they push them away. You know why? Because of shame. See, when you deal with shame and you don't think you're worthy of connection, you won't see it as an honest answer. You know what you'll see it as? You'll see it as rejection. That can cause problems in a marriage when someone just tries to speak truth in your life and you push them away. You get angry and say all kinds of stuff. It happens in relationships. When you have a healthy sense that you're worthy of love, then when people speak truth into your life, you'll apply it. Now, 
There's three quick rules that I just want to give you about being candid, and we'll move on. But if you're going to be candid in a healthy way, you compliment in public and correct in private. Let me just press in a deeper, just those of you that are married. Uh, your spouse's name should be safe on your lips. We're on the golf course when you're in the gym, when you're playing basketball, when you're hanging out with your buddies watching football. You're one flesh. It's your wife. Her name, her reputation should be safe on your lips. She's not your ball and chain. She's not a problem. And wives, your husband's name should be safe on your lips when you're with your girlfriends. Second thing is this, you correct when people are up and not when people are down. In other words, true friends under, understand rhythms and emotion, and so, so they wait till there's enough positive things going on in an individual's life before they touch the negative. Because if it's all negative and you touch the negative, you'll destroy them. But if you wait, and so you compliment them or you correct them when people are up and when they're not down, the third thing is this, you correct a person. You never correct a person until first you've proven that you're open to correction yourself. Listen, if it only goes one way, someone's not going to listen to you. But once you've proven that, you know what, I'm going to speak into your life, and guess what, you can speak into my life, it will be received. Okay, the fifth thing, if you're going to have close relationships around you, I must be constructive. In other words, Proverbs 27, 17 says this, iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. In my Bible, in the outline, of, uh, in, the, in the margin of that, I have written these words, friends shape friends. That's what Scripture says. That's why your relationships are spiritual. That's why it's important for you to have Christian friends around you. Some of you in this room, you may not have any Christian friends. You may have all non-Christian friends. And guess what? You need to find some new friends. Not that you need to, to cut all of those relationships off, but you need to develop some genuine close friends that are spiritual, that are Christian, that can speak into your life. See, a lot of times we're unaware of the influence that we have over people. Listen, you are shaping people. You are shaping people around you just as they're shaping you. Let me ask you, how are you shaping the people around you? Are you building up or tearing down? Are you supporting them? Are you encouraging them? Because the scripture tells us a good friend is constructive and a good friend is, is encouraging and a good friend will lift your spirits and a good friend will build you up and not tear you down. I mean, when you look at this, there's an enormous responsibility. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, Encourage one another, build one another up, just as in fact you were doing. The Bible says it is just so important to have close friends. Listen, that's why some of, some of us will struggle with self-esteem because all the relationships that we have around us are tearing us down. And you can get caught in a vicious cycle to where you believe that I am not worthy. I mean, this is my lot in life. I am not worthy of healthy relationships. So I'm telling you, all I need is the encouragement of one genuine friend. And I can go a lifetime. A real test of a friend is how do they handle your success? When you get that promotion that they wanted, when you make the team, when you, when you, when you get accepted to the college, uh, when you get the raise, you get the promotion, you get the car they wanted, you get the vacation they wanted, you get the house they wanted. Listen, not all friends... Only genuine friends can handle your success. There are a lot of friends that they don't mind being around you when, when the bottom falls out. 
But jealousy and envy can raise up in their life when you get the thing that they wanted. Every one of us needs encouragers around us. The last thing, the sixth thing about relationships is this, is, is I must be consistent. In other words, inconsistency destroys relationships. Inconsistency destroys relationships in the home. If dad doesn't consistently come home with the same frame, frame of mind or frame, same frame of attitude, or mom doesn't, when the kids and, and, and the people in the, in the home never know what kind of mood mom's going to be in or what kind of mood dad's going to be in, See, see, inconsistency, I'm just telling you, inconsistency destroys relationships. Proverbs 17, 17 says it this way. Guess what? A friend loves only when times are good, only when it's a good season of life, only when everything's going your way and working your way. You know what the Scripture says? Guess what? A true friend loves at all times. A true friend loves in all seasons of life. In other words, a true friend can be counted on. And he goes on and he says, and a brother is born for adversity. You know what he's saying? He's saying you can develop genuine friends that are closer to you than your own family. I'm telling you, my life group, and I don't lead my life group. I told you, Andy Trainer, Lee Hall, they're my life group leaders. My life group that I'm a part of is like family to me. Fact is, in some respects, it's closer than family. And a friend is someone that can be counted on. And a friend is someone that's dependable. And a friend is someone that will see you through. A friend is someone that will stick, stick up for you through thick and thin. You know, it always bothers me when I hear someone talking about a friend or a relationship. They say, you know what, I have this friend. I have a couple of friends, and, 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 and they're in major conflict. And so I got a couple of friends, and this one friend, this my good friend, is having a problem with another friend, also of mine. And you know what? I just don't take sides. A true friend takes sides. A true friend steps in. A true friend steps in when the whole world is stepping out. I think one of the real barriers of friendship is not only this, not feeling worthy of connection, worried that I'm going to be rejected or I'm going to be disconnected, so I just won't make healthy friends. I'll have unhealthy friends. And the other thing is just busyness. There are just two people, too many people that are just too busy for friends. I mean, they, they have casual friends, but they really don't have time to invest. But it takes a long time to develop old friends. And can I tell you this? If you're too busy for deep Christian friends, you're out of the will of God. Because God accomplishes his will through people. Scripture's clear. He wants you to develop close friends and good friends and friends that will will lift you up and not tear you down. And some of you just keep saying, well, I'm just too busy for life groups. I'm just too busy to connect with the church more. I mean, I'm good with connecting with God. But I just don't know that I want to connect with other Christians. Or, man, you just don't understand. I was at a church once. See, because here's what. People will tell you. When you talk about connection, they'll talk to you about disconnection. When they talk about love, they'll tell, talk to you about betrayal. Well, pastor, you just don't understand. I was a part of a church one time. I got rejected. I'm not doing it. I'm telling you. You're missing out. Don't let shame, don't let the past destroy you. In March, we're starting a new semester. We don't run life groups throughout all 12 months. We're starting a new semester. Some of you need to take the next step and say, you know what? I'm committed. 
I'm going to build some Christian friends. Some of you need to lead. Some of you may need to, to offer your home as a host home. We, I mean, we desperately need host homes. We desperately need leaders on the north side, the Belmont area, and that side. Maybe you need to pray about that. But maybe you need to develop close friends that can encourage and support and pray for you. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?